every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and with the help of guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, I explore the comics, films, and television series that have spun out of the creative minds in, around, and beyond the Whedonverse. Man, that's a mouthful. Um, with me this week, a friend of the show, Johnny Ho, back from Brazil. Johnny, how the hell are you doing, man? How's everyone? I'm back again after a year. After a year, Very yes. After a year, after <laughs> you, season one, so you, I'm back you, again. You too. did the research and found out it's been a year since I've had you on the show. I'm so ashamed. So I'm here again to share a little bit of my, a little bit of my about my thoughts again. Uh, well, I'm looking, angel. I'm looking forward to it. We're uh, we're talking. So the last time you were on the show, which yeah, like you said, was just about a year ago. Um, we Wesley had just joined the show. Uh, and oh. so that was back in season one. Uh, and <laughs> now you're here to uh, celebrate him starting to take on more of a leadership role in the group and getting his guts blown out for his troubles. <laughs> uh, it so. will be, f- it, it, it's a fun batch of episodes. Yeah. I remember when I, I reserved this set of episodes for myself. I just remembered them as being the transition section of this part of the season two especially in between angel locking the lawyers right there and then the big change was just the next following episodes after the sets right so i just remember them as the trio of episodes that serve as a transition so it's a fun batch of episodes especially rewatching them considering all the hindsight that, that we have from recent events yeah. or even other things so it will be a, some epi- fun episodes to discuss yeah there's going to be there's going to be some talk about about some stuff like how these episodes sit with us 20, 20 years later exactly um all right so uh just to give a heads up to people at home we are talking about three episodes tonight we're going to be discussing episodes 212 blood money 213 happy anniversary and 214 the thin dead line and um i'll give a spoiler warning here before we dive in uh this podcast we discuss uh the plots characters and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole which means we're going to talk about spoilers we're going to talk about spoilers for these episodes for everything that's come before obviously and potentially everything still to come so if you have not watched uh buffy and or angel well if you haven't watched this show, uh, then why are you here? <laughs> go watch the show. Press pause. Go watch the show. Go watch both shows uh, and come back. Uh, we'll be here forever. We're not going anywhere. Um, but uh, anyways, with all of those who needed to be warned, warned, um, 
if you're ready, Johnny, let's go to work. Uh, so we're, we'll start off with episode 212, Blood Money, which originally aired January 23rd here in the U.S. I don't know if the air dates were different for you, Johnny. It originally they, they were a little bit later. Oh, okay. Because we got it from the cable version of Fox over here. Okay. Okay. Were, well, it took them time sometimes to to dub the episode, so we ended up getting an episode officially three or four months later. Oh wow. Yeah. So okay. our. It was also around this time that we were actually getting the alternative channels of getting episodes. So people were actually getting to watch the episodes almost at, at the same time as the U.S. So okay, if you if you know about BitTorrents, this was before that. <laughs> this was a little bit before that, but there were alternatives already back then with people using IRC to to get episodes and oh. all that things. Oh, all right. <laughs> that was the word of fandom internationally. Gotcha. Well, here in the U.S., it originally aired in January, January 23rd of 2001. Uh, this episode is written by Sean Ryan and Mare Smith uh, and directed by R.D. Price. And um, Johnny, start with you. Why, how do you feel about this particular episode? I, the, the, one of the biggest highlights of this, of this episode from the get-go is the reintroduction of one of the most fascinating characters in the Widowverse history, in which she appeared in very few episodes, but get one of the most impressive development arcs in the entire Buffyverse overall, which was and still. Yes, which yeah. I, I so I love the fact that uh, Julia Lee, the actress, returns. Uh, this is her first time, her first appearance of three, I think, on Angel. We're going to be talking about two of them tonight. Um, and I love the fact that she's back as a character named Anne Steele. And this show never tips its hand. Like, the show never acknowledges that, oh, yeah, this is the girl that, uh, you know, back in uh, the season three premiere of Buffy the Vampire Slayer played the character Lily. And before that, she was the sort of vampire groupie Chanterelle. So I, she has a history with these series and i just love the fact that the show doesn't bother to point that out it's just there for those big fans to figure out it implies if you only watch angel you don't you don't get this background information as i remember some people only watched angel back then right. and didn't watch buffy along with it but it was a treat for buffy fans to see her growth this her appearance in blood money is essentially like two years and a half after her previous appearances during season three of Buffy. And it's very interesting to see how she grew in very short span of time. If you think about it, it's once only like two years and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And her name, uh, again, the show never bothers to tell you this, but like when we last saw her on Buffy in the episode titled, Anne, uh, at the end of that episode, you know, Buffy decides she's going to go back. She's going to go back going to back Sunnydale to and she's going to go back to being Buffy. Uh, and she tells Lily, the waitress, you know, you like the name Anne, you can have it. I'm going back to Buffy or whatever. And so here she is, two and a half years later, popping up on another show, uh, going by the name Anne. Uh, and she has a driver's license with that name. So obviously she so found a way to... That's a question to... I have. How, how does naming registration work in the U.S.? Because well... I took a special attention to that. And it's interesting because I don't believe she was born as Anne. She, she... she was not. Obviously, she's yeah. found a way to legally change her name. I mean, yeah. you know, 
you can legally have your name changed and there's any number of reasons you can come up with for that but in fiction it's pretty fast and loose like characters can just get fake ids as they need but um regardless she's now living apparently legally under the name Anne Steele. exactly uh, and clearly her experiences in sunnydale uh and actually actually we only saw her in the one episode in sunnydale uh lie to me yeah, uh, she was only once in Sunnydale because and it was also set in Los Angeles. In Los hopefully. Angeles, yeah, and we're Mostly. and we find out um, in the in the third episode we're going to be talking about tonight that at some point in her time in L.A. she's also met Gunn. Like, yeah, they are acquainted. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, Venn diagram of the characters. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyways, yeah. So obviously, Anne is the the big deal here. But um, what about uh? What well, what do you think about the episode? I it's an oddly ordinary episode. Was I, I actually noted on my notes? Uh huh. It, it's a it, it's a weird episode that we, basically because Angel investigations split 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 it up split split split, <laughs> split up. they split up. So we basically get an A story with Angel and a B story with. The remaining part of the crew but if you overall overall the structure is very weird because it's not a very heavily supernatural episode mm -hmm. we get angel basically pursuing pursuing war from the heart through basically being a stalker to end because she mm -hmm. was he found he was she was involved with things, with Lindsay and all the charity thing. And the guys was just trying to get back their food together again, was finding a new office space so they can continue their work. But it, it was a weird episode in the sense it's a very ordinary. I don't know how to explain this. No, it, I, it, I, yeah. I, I get it. I get what you're saying. Um, actually, in some in some regards, like all three of these episodes are kind of, um, I mean, they feel, I, I, I think there's some fun to be had here, but I feel like all three of the episodes we're going to be talking about feel like they are transition episodes. They're, yeah. they're the, the midline between, I mean, I talked in the last episode about the, the line of demarcation, um, for it's also certain really interesting characters. That all these three episodes are, are written by pairs of writers that, usually write by uh, sing, uh, solo by themselves. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they actually split, uh, separate the work between uh, one writer actually wrote the section with one A storyline and the other writer took, took care of the B storyline. I don't know. Oh, it was really interesting that I didn't, I don't remember noticing this before, but because I, I was taking notes this time so we could record all these three episodes are written for with, Two, always with two writers. That's so that's we, that's we a tremendous Mary, catch. Sean, yeah, we have Mary and Sean in this episode, and we also have two two other two writers involved in the next in two fourteen and two fourteen. Yeah, that's a great catch. Like in my notes, I, I obviously I take note of the writers for each episode, and it didn't even dawn on mm -hmm. me that it's it's a pair of writers each time. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good. I don't. I don't know the answer to this. If anybody listening at home knows the answer, uh, you know, conswithdead at gmail dot com, <laughs> reach out and let me know. But uh, 
it is interesting considering the nature of these three episodes has angel as a separate storyline like barely even acknowledging the existence of his former friends Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so it's interesting to ponder if one writer focused more on like the angel story and the other writer dealt with the gang but um i would say that uh i enjoy these episodes because i know you know i know the larger context of the episodes i know what comes out of this and i know what story is the, the larger story that's being told what is the build up but yeah it's something that we got get from hindsight after knowing the whole journey i don't right. know if i enjoyed them as much back then i think i enjoy them more now actually yeah no i agree <laughs> after, I mean, after this rewatch they were more enjoyable now i think probably um in fact we'll talk a lot more about this in the next episode happy anniversary i had i remember i don't often remember what my initial reaction to these was because they were so long ago and my memory is terrible uh, but for the next episode, I do remember what my reaction was, uh, and it wasn't entirely positive. Um, so yeah, I like the episodes much more on revisit, knowing the the larger context. But um, so what do we get out of this episode? Uh, the blood money. It's obviously the introduction of of Anne to the the angel, uh, the larger angel story. Um, but it's also about uh, <laughs> it's about um, Wesley and Cordelia and Gunn trying to move on, like accepting the fact that they really are going to be on their own now and trying to move on uh, and actually starting to... Because at the start of the episode, we find them all spending time at Cordelia's apartments. Yeah. Just I'm basking s- and playing board games. I'm very sad we didn't get... Uh, I'm very sad we didn't get uh, Phantom Dennis in that. Yeah, exactly. But I, I would have loved to see Phantom Dennis playing Risk with the boys it's, somehow yeah that would have been a wonderful idea um i mean it's a, it's a so that cold open is a little bit of a cliche and an overused trope uh you know with the the sort of twist having two characters face off. angel does it actually a lot actually <laughs> having two characters seemingly confront each other and then revealing that oh they're just acting out a, a, a scene in a play or in this case they're you know playing risk but i don't care i it was still fun i i I love the building dynamic between Gunn and Wesley. Uh, and it's just fun to see them play off each other. So cliche, but it worked for me. Um, I do have a question. Um, so way back in, um, oh, what was it? It was two oh, uh, Buffy episode 207 lied to me when we first saw her, her name at the time was Chanterelle. Angel did actually have a scene with her. Uh, they had a brief sort of confrontation in that episode. I did not go back and revisit to see how the scene played out, but I do know that they shared a scene together. And um, I think Angel goes on, the Angel the show goes on to make a bigger deal out of it moving forward, but it is a, a thing about Angel that he supposedly has photographic memory. So I'm curious if you're able to watch this episode... I think I am. Are you able to watch this episode and not catch yourself saying, well, hold up. Why doesn't he know who she is? Maybe she wouldn't remember him because it was it was a brief thing. And it makes she... sense because she was a little bit yeah. lost during her time in Sunday. But Angel is questionable how much he knows about her. Right. Even if. So so I, I say that I think I can actually 
watch the episode and not have that bother me because I can easily in my head imagine that um, I, I don't think there's anything on screen that expressly states Angel does not know who she is. He's clearly he's he's intrigued by this because of her involvement with Wolfram and Hart. And if he does remember her, what he remembers is her involvement with the weird vampire group. Vampire groupies and it was minimal. Right. So so I mean he has reason to be a little iffy. In fact, if he remembers even all that, if he remembers her, I don't think it matters for what his main goal during this episode, which was trying to interfere with Wolfram and Hart's uh, right. basically raising funds plan. Right. They're, they're, yeah. yeah. The yeah. charity fund thing. And that was his main goal. He doesn't, considering uh, at which point where we find Angel right now, he doesn't really care about other people. And right. he's, he's very centered on his main goal and vendetta against the lawyers and and his main goals, I I don't think it matters or not that if he show that he remembers in from their previous meeting back in season two of Buffy or not. Right. It didn't matter. In fact, in my head, I could even imagine that uh, if he does remember her, that makes it, I, I mean, you know, that gives him even more reason to like stalk her and be dubious of her involvement with Wolfram and Hart. But regardless, I, I have seen some people complain about why doesn't Angel know who Anne is? And uh, yeah, I, I think A, it doesn't matter. And B, maybe he does. Maybe he does know. Um, so we get uh, Holland Manners makes a little post-mortem return in this episode in a you know, weird sort of recruitment video or a fundraiser PSA video video that was that was nuts we get to interact a little bit with allegedly who is holland's main replacement in in the office structure of uh, of open heart which seems to be nathan reed nathan reed yeah who's i don't remember uh, yeah i don't, I don't remember, remember how long yeah. he's on the show I don't think a lot. Yeah. I, I, I actually have to take notes about his name because I didn't remember this character before. Mm-hmm. I think going forward... So so another question that I was going to raise about this episode is, you know, uh, Lindsay and Lila both just got promoted to co-vice presidents of special projects or whatever. Um, and so you have to wonder, wh- you know, why are they involved in what is otherwise a petty cash issue. Like they're, they're defrauding, a you know, a teen shelter for $2 million, which, you know, to us, $2 million, that's a big deal to Wolfram and Hart. Probably not that big a deal. Why are they involved in this? This seems beneath them. Um, yeah. That, that's one of the oddities that were caught about this being a very ordinary episodes, because usually Wolfram and Hart, we associate them with, demons and even they do even in these early seasons we get the, the it is implied that the senior partners are probably asian beings demons or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. but with these weird money scheme that we get this episode they just they just it just make it seem that it is a very ordinary uh, illegal lawyer company not just a supernatural right. one. so it's structurally structurally wise 
it's really weird for for them to doing this. To... It, it makes it feel more like a Monster of the Week episode, which, I mean, it kind of is. Um, it, it obviously is dealing with uh, the larger story that's going on behind the scenes um, of Angel going dark and all that stuff. But it is kind of a Monster of the Week episode. Um, and at this point in the series, it kind of feels strange to have Wolfram and Hart be involved in Monster of the Week episodes, since we now know what a big entity they are and you know how exactly. involved they are in the bigger picture. Um, but I think in future episodes or seasons, I don't remember... I don't remember when exactly, but I'm almost positive that the show eventually starts to show, to demonstrate that Holland Manners um, was much more important to the firm than just running the special projects division. Um, I don't think he's he's not one of the senior partners. I don't think the show ever goes. No, that but we far. get another cameo right from him. Right, an important in a couple one. episodes time. Yeah, on that very important elevator scene. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I know, I know the show starts telling us that Holland Manners was actually, you know, a bigger deal than, than we even thought. And, uh, the implication I believe is that his special projects division, which Lila and Lindsay are now more or less running, um, also, uh, had its fingers in a lot more pies. I, I, where I'm going with this is I think the show starts to sort of backfill why, um, special project is involved in petty cash things like this um at the moment i think it feels a little weird like like this should be beneath lila and Lindsay at this point but uh i think the show starts to explain that away a little bit we'll see as we as, as i continue the rewatch but um another big thing that we get out of this episode is talking about wolfram and hart we finally get the definitive answer of why Wolfram and Hart uh, deals with Angel the way that they do. Because Lindsay has had enough, and he he confronts that Nathan Reed guy about why can't we just kill him, <laughs> or whatever. And so I think a lot of us fans had probably suspected as much, but they finally explain definitively on screen that uh, you know Angel's going to be a big player in the apocalypse, we just don't know which side he's going to be on. And so all of this, we can't kill him. The senior partners want him alive. We want him to play a role in the apocalypse. We're just messing with him to make sure that he plays a dark role in the apocalypse, which also could explain why, explain away why, you know, Wolfram and Hart doesn't, uh, you know, if they're trying to mess with Angel and trying to make, trying to make him dark, why don't they, uh, you know, why don't they kill off, his friends, Cordy and Wesley and Gunn, why let them stick around and cause problems? And um, because they're not trying, they're not trying to destroy. That would destroy Angel. Like I think he, they're trying to ride that line of making Angel go dark without actually. They won't. They don't want to push him completely dark. Right. They actually. It's really interesting how these three episodes actually play with the concept of gray. We want to make him as gray as possible. Actually, it's not dark. Right. It's not going all the other is not completely setting to the other extreme, setting, but still keeping as gray as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's really fascinating. Yeah, that's Especially actually because, what Nathan Reed says. He says gray. <laughs> yeah, he says a lot of gray, and and he pushes a lot about 
Angel's not expendable to me. He's actually essential. Right. The two of you are telling Lindsay, both Lindsay and Lila, the two of you are actually expendable. We can't do without any one of you. Right. Right. Um, what else did we get in here? Oh, more more of the character of Merle, uh, played by Matthew James. Um, I've talked about him before, but I love the character of Merle, and it breaks my heart that he has become just... So I, I get the trope. I understand the noir trope. You have to have the low life informant. Punching bag that yeah, gets. That the detective has to go and shake down to get information. Mm. I, I get it. But at a certain point, I'm like, Lauren, not Lauren, um, Merle is just so adorable that I, I, I'm, I just feel bad for him just constantly getting nothing but smacked around. Exactly. But uh, so By so many different people. Right. By everybody. <laughs> Um, anyways, um, Lindsay had a great line in this when, when, uh, Lila says something about, but, uh, you know, but what if, you know, what if they kill Angel or what if Angel dies and Lindsay's like, well, boo hoo, let me wipe away the tears of my plastic hand. Great. <laughs> great line. Great line. And going back to the title of the episode, I really like the, just the, just the position that they tried to play with. Um, what are the immediate needs from the people and the long-term needs? And the blood money was a metaphor mm -hmm. that gets to, in, to be played in, 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 as a make, main MacGuffin of the episodes, especially when Angel confronts Anne about telling her that the, the fundraising it's mostly to one from heart so they can get most of the money. Mm -hmm. And she says, even uh, even if I only get to keep 5% of 2 million, it's still a lot of money to us. Yeah. Because we're... Yeah, she, she says needs, that 5% yeah. is more than we would make in two years. So It's still a lot for us. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter that it's dirty money in the end for her. Yeah. Because she's working with people that really need it. And we can, uh, and and our needs that can't be solved by having something that is planned as a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. There, there are problems that need some immediate solutions, and that money can actually help her with that. Yeah, I love the fact that in the end she takes the the at that point literal blood money because <laughs> the money it will is, wash. It'll it wash. Says. It'll wash is a great is the closing line of matter. the episode. Um, I, I, I really like the fact that they had Anne who we have, we have every reason to expect is, you know, a genuinely good person. Like we, uh, other characters, you could watch that ending where she just takes the blood money and says it'll wash. Um, you know, you could read that as, oh, that's really a dark turn for that character. I think this is just a human moment for her where she, she can she can use that money to help a lot of people. Exactly. And she's someone that had to basically be born again after Buffy helped her back two years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because before that, she was a husk of, of a person. Yep. And in two years, she was able to rebuild herself and create this structure to try to help people. people. And this shelter, us. Uh, as little as it is, she can help a lot of people with whatever resources she can get. Right. 
and she's obviously matured a lot like the la- the previous two times we saw her she was she was being manipulated by or trusting the very wrong people um and uh i mean obviously this episode features her being sort of manipulated i mean she's be- being manipulated again by wolfman hart but uh she has a very mature response to that with the whole i mean you know that sucks but at least i'll get some money out of it <laughs> At least I can keep helping people. Right. And sometimes that's the giveaway. There's a give or take of being a grown-up. So the character of Boone, uh, on this rewatch, it's so weird. On this rewatch, I swear I remembered Boone being a character that had popped up on Buffy. I was like, oh, this is the... And he's not. He absolutely is not. I looked it up. But for the the, the entire episode... He doesn't return. Right. It's really weird. Uh, in fact, he's played by uh, the actor Mark Ralston, who has a huge like genre credits list. Um, he's been in tons of stuff, but I was blown away to realize he played Bri- Private Drake in Aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, that just boggles my mind. But anyways, so I watched, the, I rewatched this entire episode, thinking um, I can't, I can't remember what Buffy episode my mind was going back to. The one with like the cowboy vampire, like all the bounty hunters that came to Sunnydale. And one of them was like a cowboy. I don't know. I spent the entire episode thinking, oh, yeah, this guy. Seems uh, familiar. but Yeah, he was he was on Buffy all the, all those years ago. <laughs> and then, like, when I was, uh, you know, looking up the actor, I was like, oh, no, not at all. This is it. This is his one appearance. So, I don't know. That was weird. But he was cool. I liked him. Um, go ahead. Uh... I have a weird note about the party in which they have a fictional show called Left Lessons that have their cast appearing as the robbers right. for the charity events. Yeah. I wonder what type of a show was Life Lessons. I don't know. It's just a weird thought that never <laughs> popped into my mind before. We get to see a little bit of these cast members interacting with the things during the party, uh-huh. about them reacting negatively towards this thing that their agent sent them to. Yeah, I'm going to kill my agent. You know. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's something really curious. I wonder what type of a show this Life Lessons is supposed to be. It's well, a it's a standard like a Dawson's Creek WB show or something like that. I mean, <laughs> I that's. Know. I think that's where my mind went to the Dawson's <laughs> Creek sort of thing. Um, uh, or the OC or something. But uh, well, let's just add it to the growing list of things. Uh, of like possible spinoffs that I continuously imagine. Let's just imagine that there was a, that the show had actually made a, what is it? What is it called? What What's the fictional show? Life lessons. Life lessons. Let's just imagine that there was a life lessons, like spinoff yeah. comic or something. There was even a, a throwaway line from the guest to, towards one of the characters questioning if her character becoming gay was something. And, I don't yes. remember noticing that before. Which that had to have been, yeah. So, so one of the guests is like, uh, "Was that making your character gay? Like, was that just a a marketing thing? Because I don't get it or whatever." Which has to have been, like, they had to have put that in there in response to all the fans freaking out about Willow. Uh, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so I, because I know, uh, I know Mutant Enemy caught a lot of hell at the time for them deciding that willow was going to be quote-unquote gay actually bisexual but 
So I just assume that's what that was in reference to. Probably. Um, all right. Well, let's. Uh, if you do, if if there's nothing else for that one, let's move on to uh, Happy Anniversary, which in the U.S. Uh, original air date was February sixth, two thousand one. Uh, the writing pair on this one is David Greenwald and Joss Whedon, um, two of, I mean, arguably the two biggest <laughs> heavy hitters in the writing writers room for this show, uh, directed by Bill L. Norton, um, and so considering the two writers responsible for this episode what how do how do we feel about the episode <laughs> this is a complicated one no right yeah uh i remember being disappointed back in 2001 because it was a david greenall and joss whedon episode because exactly. it doesn't feel like uh joss whedon and david greenall episode exactly but going through the episode i Having all the hindsight that we having now, that we have now about real world events, about all the fender apocalypse that we we've we've experienced the last few years, yeah, it's an extremely weird episode to rewatch. Let me get this clear. It's so yeah. This is obviously, or uh, of the three, this is the strangest episode for me personally because I also like you. I, I said, this is one of them that I do remember what my reaction was. And it was, oh, awesome. This is written by David Greenwald and Joss Whedon. And then the episode aired and I was like, what? That didn't... <laughs> what was that? Um, so, yeah, I was initially disappointed. Uh, but now I would say I have complex feelings about the episode because I don't feel like it's a particularly good one. It, no, it's, it's, another, <laughs> it's another Monster of the Week episode, which, again, at this point in the series feels odd um it's not a particularly creative uh monster of the week episode and yet there are like the individual bits and pieces of the episode i really like um i it does not add up to more than the sum of its parts um so ultimately it's a disappointing episode but like just about every individual piece in it i actually like um, going to the positive first I think it was wonderful that this is probably the first episode that Andy Hallett kept really highlighted in his role yes uh, at this, this point is, this still, is the first time being, being, being credited I, I, I don't think he's actually credited as Lorne yet nope, nope, he's still yet. being credited as just the host yep. he doesn't have a name yep. we just know his, him as the host from the karaoke bar Right, but uh, and, this is, and this is and this is the first time. He, yeah. This is the first time we see him outside of Keratos. This is the first time he yeah. gets any scenes outside. So, and a lot of scenes actually, because yeah. he, he he's he's a major part of the angel side of the storyline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Andy Hallett, uh, as the host, soon to be Lorne, is like a pure and shining treasure that none of us deserved, and. Um, uh, any literally any time that he is on camera um it's a joy it's a delight and this was his biggest episode to date um and it was fun to see again in the larger context of the story that's being told at the moment it's a little odd that we have angel in such a dark place and now and now he's in sort of a buddy cop comedy um with the host uh, 
like I said, taken by itself, I really loved that. I loved the chemistry between the two of them. I love every word out of Andy Hallett's mouth, and I love the, the dynamic that the two of them have, the brooding angel who just wants to be brooding at the moment, uh, and and the host who's trying to pull him out and, and calling him out for it and saying, you know, you were a champion. Like, you used to help the helpless. Now you just hurt, punish the guilty or whatever. Um, on its own, that's wonderful and I, I adore all of that but in the larger context of the series it just feels a little it, it's a little flat reinforcing the weirdness that this is a, an episode written by the two main executive producers mm -hmm. on the show mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> um, what else um, it's always good to see Virginia back I think I I know we're not going to get Virginia much longer in fact i didn't look this up but i feel like maybe we're at the end <laughs> i don't think we get virginia much more um probably until the end of the season yeah this season, and that's it at most yeah. because next season is the impressive lila arc <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um but yeah so uh bridget branagh playing virginia bryce uh returns and uh again is fun and it's uh, I love her scenes with Wesley. I love her scenes with the whole group. Like when she comes into the office and, and is interacting with the whole group and everybody just accepts that, Oh, this is Wesley's girlfriend, a thing which would have been and, and has been made fun of in previous episodes. And at this point they're like, Oh, it's just his girlfriend now. Of course, Cordy is like, it's his rich girlfriend. That's uh, they have like. a banter, but the banter is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I love that scene, but, um, I don't know the episode, all the wonderful parts in the episode that I love so much don't gel very well into a, into a cohesive, the episode itself isn't fantastic. Exactly. It's not cohesive. Right. There are some fun parts during the episodes, but it doesn't gel together. Well, the whole, the whole shtick with uh, Wesley playing like Sherlock Holmes or Hercule Poirot and doing his, <laughs> like his parlor room it's reveal. Cute, that was, that was phenomenal i loved that especially at the especially that it worked like you know that could have been one of those setups for wesley to be completely wrong to accuse totally the wrong person and just make a fool of himself but it, it was ridiculous and hilarious and he was also right and gun was like that was awesome <laughs> i'm just like that scene was great but um i don't know it didn't help the episode and on the whole um the so, main A storyline of this episode, we get this grad student who's uh -huh. doing some research. Right. Uh, I didn't get this plot before, but he seems like a precursor for the trio for Buffy in a, in a few ways. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's the thought that I had when doing this rewatch, which is odd. It is it, a very complicated feeling towards this type of it's archetype of a character, especially now knowing what we know about yeah, the writers. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I was going to go. I, so the character's name is Gene, and I didn't think of the trio. I didn't think of the nerd trio, um, mostly because the nerd trio were primarily used as comedic relief, comic relief. Obviously, some very dark stuff came out of the nerd trio, but uh, I still think of them as just uh, mostly comic relief. Whereas Gene, obviously. There's a little comedic element to that character, but he's played a lot straighter than, you know, uh, some other writers might have made him. And uh, 
I don't know. It's it's fascinating to me that the character is much more of just a straight up like you know physics student. It's more straight science. It's like weird science it's very and, and science. not the only he magic only got involved. A solution for or he only found a solution for his research because those demons interfered with with the equations. Right. Otherwise, he would he didn't have an answer for. Right. The stasis field that he was looking for. So there are elements about that character that I really appreciate. The fact that it's played that way, that it gets to be, even though the equation is magically altered without his knowledge, it's still like science that he's doing. It's not a spell that he's casting necessarily. So I thought that was an interesting take. Um, and, uh, you know, also he gets to do a bunch of techno babble, which is always fun, especially when, uh, other character especially when it's not used as a joke like he's he's rattling off you know uh quantum physics techno babble uh and it's played straight i don't know the elements of that i really appreciate it but as you said hindsight being 2020 that character is a little problematic very like, problematic <laughs> uh what his what his ultimate goal becomes by the end of the episode is very problematic made even more so by the fact that Whedon was one of the writers exactly. of the episode. Um, so that leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to think back to a time when that particular little element, that, that, uh, that ending, which is kind of played off as a joke that was okay or we we at least a lot of people felt that oh no it's just a joke and now 20 years later uh i i ugh. cringed my it's a very ugh it's yeah i cringed my way through that entire thing um i didn't cringe my way i didn't cringe so much that i couldn't i'm just looking at my notes and realizing that i wrote a joke and didn't realize it uh I said, Angel unplugging the time machine made for a pretty anticlimactic climax. And I just realized that was an unintentional oh, joke. <laughs> yeah, Dumbledore Tender. Uh, in, in a few ways, the Dumbledore Tender. Yeah. For how, how the crisis resolves at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's... Go ahead. Also regarding his background as a, a, as a physics grad student it's interesting that this is a few months uh, several months before we get introduced to winning friends to our friends yes uh-huh. at the end of the season it was also a freaking genius on mm -hmm. several areas i think including physics i don't remember i think so i think so in fact you have to wonder if they ever cross paths i don't i don't remember how long fred has been missing I don't remember how many years she's spent in Pylea or whatever by the time that we meet her, but I, you know, just makes me wonder if uh, she was involved in the same physics course that this that Jean was. But they may have crossed paths on the on the, con uh, on the convention or something like scientific events, maybe. Right. Um, it's very interesting, which which reminds me very interesting how they. How Lord and Angel managed to find him. They had to go to the library and <laughs> find the physical papers in the library, and then question. Yeah, that it, was... it's a very 
pre-internet thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he must be missing. It's very different when currently we have scientific journals. They some some of them are paid, some of them free, but you can mostly find the, the scientific journals online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He must be missing um, Cordy and Wesley at that. Well, mostly Cordy. Cordy has her weird like demonology websites that she goes to all the time. I'm sure he was missing that at the moment. Um, let's see. I already mentioned Wesley's like Sherlock Holmes thing, which was great. Um, oh, another thing that I really, really liked for a, for a personal reason, uh, years and years, when I was a child, way back in the pre-dawn, the prehistory uh, of the world, uh, when I was a child, someone somewhere introduced me to the concept of, uh, you know, s songs need to be short for a reason. Like I have always loved long songs. I'm a I'm a Led Zeppelin fan. I, you know I love songs that run on for 11 minutes or whatever. So at some point somebody introduced me to the concept of the reason you know what makes a song what makes most songs good what we enjoy about them is the fact that they don't last forever, that they're finite and having my beloved Lorne Andy Hallett explain in this episode the notion of you know what makes a song what we love about a song is the change. It's not the, you know, I can sustain a note forever, but at a certain point it just becomes noise. A song is a song because it goes from one note to the other. Uh, which was his life lesson for that Gene character. But uh, I don't know. I just flash back to when I was like seven years old and somebody introduced that whole concept to me. And I was like hearing it back from my, my Andy Hallett, Lorne, who I adore, um, was a wonderful little moment for me. So, um, let's see. Anything else in here? Okay, let me go. Uh, one thing that surprises me, I did not remember this actress being in the show, which is Darby, Darby Stanchfield. I think that's how it Oh, she, Denise? She's who plays Denise. Mm -hmm. She's... An actress that was in Scandal and also on Lock and Key on Netflix. Oh, well, I've, currently. I've never watched either of those, and I, <laughs> I feel terrible for not watching Lock and Key. It's right up my alley. I don't know why I've Lock never and watched key. it. But... And I was totally surprised to find her in this episode. I, don't, I didn't remember that, so I was quite surprised to find her here, which is... In... I'm cur uh, Something about the relationship, uh, it's interesting that Denise was about to break up with Gene mm -hmm. and I'm curious what how how they met actually a little uh, we don't get a lot of, of background information about them the about them as a couple mm -hmm. it's implied that she knows his friends from the physics department so we can maybe imply that she was also a grad student or something from the department because she was hanging out with a lot of them especially with the other girl right which was also part of the research scene. Right. But it's... I'm curious how... Uh, how the pairing happened. And it's, it's background information about them that we don't have. We just know that she she's finding the relationship stale and she's about to break up with them on on, on the... Do, on, on, uh, very close to their one-year anniversary. On their one-year anniversary. Yeah, their one-year anniversary. That, yeah. was all, that was all messy. That was another problematic thing about that, watching the whole scene. So, again, knowing that this actually happens in real life, so this is not 
like I'm not laying all of this at the feet of Joss Whedon. Um, This really was a thing, but still it's uncomfortable to watch uh, a scene of two fictional characters discussing, Oh, I'm going to break up with my boyfriend. Uh, And her friend, her friend saying, well, you really, I mean, that seems unfair to do it on like your one year anniversary. Like maybe you should sleep with him as a consolation prize or whatever. It's like, Oh God, please. Can we not, can we not do this? Oh my God. And that was a conversation between two girls. Yeah. Mm -hmm, Yeah. (laughs) That was really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, that's all. That's backstory. That's backstory we're never going to get because we never hear from Gene ever again. That character was a exactly. one-off. So it's just that his background seems to inspire, reminds me a little bit of things that are about to happen timeline-wise because this is season two of Angel, and the trio gets introduced on the following year on Buffy on mm-hmm. season six, mm-hmm. and we get Fred yeah, a few months later at mm-hmm. the end of season two. Right. Uh, well, another spinoff, a gene. No, no, <laughs> nobody wants, nobody wants the gene spinoff. Um, all right, let's, um, is there anything else? Can we move on? Yes. I have a few extra notes, which okay. is, uh, we know that this, despite being three weeks of episodes that they air one week between each other, there are some information that we get that actually there are a longer time gap between the episodes within the universe so this is actually a few weeks later from in between 212 to 213 so mm-hmm. by this point uh, the new angel investigations they are they have office set up finally right um i i i really hope we get got more from 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 this setup which was the trio, the, the our trio, which scored the Charles uh, Gunn and Wesley, trying to deal with these rich people dealing with occult mm-hmm. that are friends with Virginia, and we get a little bit of this episode, but nothing, a, a very little more afterwards. Yeah, I. Well, first of all, specifically about the that rich family that they help out, which gave us the the wonderful. Sherlock Holmes scene um that that could have been a full episode like if the show wasn't at the point it's at and wasn't trying to tell the bigger picture that it's trying to tell that could have been an entire monster of the week episode itself and it would have been it would have been great um in fact I kind of wish I don't think that we do I I think all of this interstitial period we're going through right now is always split between you know an angel a story and a and the gang b story I kind of wish that we would get you know, a full episode without Angel, since he's not in the picture anymore, supposedly. Just give us one full episode of just Cordy, Wesley, and Gunn doing their thing. They uh, there should have been a middle episode in which they was a, they they got the A storyline with Angel just barely there with right. a B storyline and something else. Right. And we never got that. No. Because we end this free interstitial previews and then we just go into uh, reprise and what? epiphany. Epiphany and. Then things just throw us into the rest of the season, so it's yeah. very different. Yeah. Um, oh well, what might have been? Um, was it? It sounded like you had more. Is there anything else? Yeah, regarding this exploration of rich people that abuse occult things, uh-huh. there. Uh, I wish they have more, had more chances for this because it reminded me a little bit of of this of the beginning of Sandman. 
Of Sandman? Because it, oh. Exactly, because it was a, a rich guy <laughs> doing some occult phase to someone's ring. And wow. <laughs> that, if we got some more exploration about these rich people world that that's a little bit separate from War from the Heart, really abusing abusing uh, abusing occult things and that, sh- that could have been a, 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 a very interesting uh, angle to explore with these characters. Wow, major props for bringing Sandman into the equation. I like it. Um, yeah, which is about to get its own Netflix adaptation. Exactly. Fingers crossed at that point. Hopefully, hopefully, I have my fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, so let's move on to uh, the Thin Deadline, which in America, uh, in the U.S., I should say, that aired on my birthday, February thirteenth, two thousand one. Uh, the writing duo is—I still have not looked up how to pronounce his name. Jim, I always say Koof, Jim Koof, and Sean Ryan. Jim Koof, of course, wrote uh, my absolute fav- favorite Angel episode. Uh, which we previously discussed, which was five by five with faith and angel in the rainy alley Um, directed by Scott McGinnis and uh, Julia Lee is back as Anne. Matthew James is back as Merle. Um, And this episode has some, (laughs) I don't know if it's aged very well. It's a, it does explore this very, relevant topic mm-hmm. of police brutality mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just go directly into the question they are very direct into the exploration and by the end of it i think they still po- keep the question that what's actually really important and this is something that it's kept very very constant during these three episodes which is exploring the gray areas mm-hmm. because by the end of the free deadline once once angel gets to shut down the zombie rituals that that were being done by the captain uh he talks with kate and kate show him the results when the zombie cops were active cr- uh, criminal activities were at a lower rate mm-hmm compared to what it was before they were active yeah it's questionable so it's a very 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 delicate topic it it <laughs> i it is i'm trying to view this through uh through the lens of of the period um i always remember this like in my in my head there are the the red markers that i think of as the episodes that are you know are standouts this in in my mental list this is always one of the big ones i always remember this as being a fantastic episode subconsciously that subconsciously that's probably because jim Koof was involved and i <laughs> i love him so much um viscerally it's probably for the scene of wesley getting shot which i do remember my initial reaction which was to fucking jump out of my chair and say what the hell are you doing how dare you do this um but uh so so I want to be careful. I don't want to say that this isn't a good episode because we're viewing it through today's lens. I, this episode, if it was made today, would be made very differently. Probably. Um, but for the time, I think it was handled, you know. It's interesting because the second well. writer on this episode is actually Sean Ryan. Sean Ryan, which, yeah. 
which will leave by the end of the season, and then he creates the shield. Yeah. Which, again, showing showing my many blind spots. Uh, another show that I have never watched, but I'm familiar enough with to know. Yeah, I, I haven't watched either, but I'm also aware of the of the topics and and the things that that were explored in that show. So yeah. Um, I'm glad you did that research. I didn't realize that he he was so close to leaving this show and doing going on to do the shield. Um, yeah. All right. So, anyways, it's it's a little uncomfortable to look at it back look back at it from where we are today. But as the episode itself stands, um, I I really enjoy the episode. I I, I love the fact that Anne and Gunn know each other. I like that little bit of world building. Um, like you said earlier, the whole Venn diagram of characters that have almost crossed paths with each other is always fun. Um, I like seeing, I, I like the fact that Gunn is called out a little bit by his friends. That you know, he's not. He's. I mean, they're not make, around anymore. Yeah, he he's moving on up, as they say. They make the whole Jefferson's uh, joke. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was a fair I, I i appreciated the fact that the writers recognized they took this character of gun from they had set him up as a very specific kind of character and now he's just basically living with the gang uh so that was fun um let's talk about the amount of force that angel was willing to use against that zombie cop before he knew that it was a zombie cop yeah he- he was very, very violent with him, and then kicked his head and kicked his head off. We could debate, and maybe, maybe we should. Maybe we should discuss. At what point did Angel know that he was fighting an undead cop? Was it was before? Was he aware that he was an undead cop? That's the question. Because I think he figured it out at a certain point. Use that much force? Yeah, yeah. The question is, at what point did he figure it out? I mean, I, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt and saying that he knew before he kicked his head off. <laughs> but even so, I was like, you know, even if this, even without kicking his head off, Angel was being pretty rough with that cop. Even he, before he took him down the first time. Mm-hmm. But once, once he stood up again mm-hmm. yes probably human not 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 a human so right but before that he was being very rough with him so i mean i don't know angel's dark right now what, what are it's you gonna weird. do <laughs> and the other thing that i want to point out wesley got shots they caught an ambulance they get they get the ambulance and they get stopped by a bunch of cops on the way and the driver of the ambulance gets shot and killed multiple they times. Run away multiple times. They run away, and then I, it's unbel- it's unbelievable how the partner, the other paramedic, the other paramedic, how calm he is. Oh right, yeah, it's, it's impressive. Yeah, I, I he, kept I kept he waiting. Doesn't for... even seem to react to the fact that his his partner is dead. Right. Um, yeah, and and I kept waiting for him to say to to say we can't. <laughs> We have to get him to a hospital. Like, I understand the episode wanted us to recognize that they couldn't get out of the neighborhood, that the cops were keeping them from getting out of the neighborhood and going to a hospital. But even so, every time that they had to physically move Wesley, I was waiting for the for the paramedic to say, what are you doing? We cannot move him. But they did a good job of making me fear desperately, even 
even 20 years later, knowing well, knowing what's going on in the story and, and all that. Um, in fact, maybe especially because I know where Wesley's story ultimately goes. <laughs> it's still, they do a good job of making me fear for Wesley. Uh, of, they, they don't let wounded Wesley be uh, humorous very much, which is good. I, I think they could have let Not Wesley... Not anymore. Right. It's a very interesting approach to how they're starting to write the character since the start of the season. Yeah, the injury was serious. Um, and for the most part, like he, he took it seriously. Um, yeah, I was very, to, to put it mildly, I was distra distressed to see Angel get gunned down like, or, uh, Wesley get gunned down like that. That final section, entire final section of the episode was really, really fun to watch with the, the hordes, the hordes mm -hmm. of zombie cops approaching the shelter and, 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 at the same time, Angel finally confronting the captain that was resurrecting this deep, that that cops, mm -hmm. and it was a really impressive, a really fun part of the episodes. Yeah, I just wonder how by the end of the resolution we have the, all the corpses. I wonder how that was dealt with because yeah. we, we don't really get to see the aftermath of that because there's just a bunch of corpses, dead cops that died months ago. Spread near or inside the shelter. Yeah, we don't. I don't. I don't remember what happens next episode, but I don't think that's ever addressed. Of how never addressed. You know, what? How do they get all those cop corpses off the streets and out of the shelter? Um, we did get Kate. Kate is back. Uh, she popped up recently in a more helpful vein with Angel, and then in this episode again, she's. She continues to be more on the supportive side of the spectrum. She's We're also at the end of her running the show. Yeah, we're we're coming up on the end, yeah. Um But it it it's good to see her as the I mean, she's not entirely on his side. She's still very Which is totally fine. Thing, which is good. I liked the cemetery scene when uh when they go to the cemetery and he explain like he notices the grave's been disturbed and and uh, the realization on her face, like when, when she realizes what's happening and she rushes to her father's grave. Um, that was a great moment. It, it, that was a good moment. I like how that played out. I liked her performance in there. And it was also interest, interesting to see. I mean, at this point, we've already, in the previous episode, we already had Angel talk about how, which whole scene I totally forgot to mention, the, the lovely... Uh, scene in the car as angel was explaining you know 200 law students dedicated to nothing but messing with my life and upsetting me and everyone's all confused that it's working <laughs> whatever <laughs> um but anyways it's good with kate to see that uh, angel you know is still sensitive he realizes what it is that she's upset about and he feels bad for her and he comforts her and says no 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 he's still there it's still good um we get a much more heartwarming, a much more, it's, it, it's weird to call it pleasant, but a much more pleasant version of the Wesley in a hospital bed scene than what we're going to be getting in, ex in exactly a year from now. In a year, basically. Um, that actually kind of made it uncomfortable watching that scene and remembering the next time we're going to see this scene. Uh, 
yeah um what else have you got for this episode mm, it's sad that this is uh, analyzed appearance i think before not to fade away I, or yes. by the end before the end of the uh, of the series actually it's sad that she doesn't get to have a scene again with angel mm-hmm. because i don't remember her especially scene because of what i mentioned at the start which is she she's probably one of the characters with fewest appearances but with one of the most impressive growth arcs mm-hmm. in the entire history of the Buffyverse. Her final appearance is actually with Gun, which oh, okay. is this relationship that, that, that pre-exists and established mm-hmm. in this episode, 214. But we never get to see her meet Angel again, and it would have been interesting to see her view of life as an adult confronted with angel was again yeah i wish i mean i love this series as it is um but you know there's always things that i wish that they could have done more of or done better and i i wish there are a lot of the sort of side characters that get to pop in just for an episode or two that i i wish the show had made more room for um the i i suddenly can't remember his name but like the millionaire D D player uh, yeah, I guess at I don't remember his name either. Yeah. Anyway, I I always wish that they'd found a way to sort of make him a a more consistent, uh, more recurring character, and which was probably the plan when they introduced him back in I'm season sure, one. I'm sure but it was. Yeah. It never fared. Yeah. So yeah, Anne is one of the characters that I wish they could have, you know, found a way to have her be on more than just the three. Like, I wish we'd get more of her between now and the end of the entire series, but, um, but it was fun to have her for these few. And, and, uh, I'm glad that you stressed it so much that she, you know, she only has a handful of appearances, but she's got one of the more impressive character arcs across the, you know, across the two shows. Especially because Angel, it's, you probably experienced, uh, I remember you mentioned this, the, that you pre- you do prefer Angel over Buffy sometimes, mm-hmm. especially because I think you experience the show. You're you were already already grown up when when you watched the shows for the first time. And compared to someone that's a little bit younger than you, I used to prefer Buffy before, but mm-hmm. that was because I was the same age as Buffy and, and the characters back then. Right. But rewatching Angel, especially rewatching later in later years or more recently for for these recordings, I do relate more with Angel because they it, it, it does set up more adults and less let's say less less a uh, young person point of view. Mm-hmm. It, it it does try to explore what is what is living like an adult is like. Right, and that's probably something that that, that mostly differentiates. Um, the view of the world presented in Buffy and the view of the world that is presented in Angel. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot. To, uh, I it's a, a very transition. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a trio of transition episodes. Yeah. I mean, each of them taken by themselves, they're just kind of... I mean, I, I, I didn't dislike any of them. I think they're all fine episodes, but uh, they are each one is just kind of like okay it was it was it was there it was fun it was definitely fun yeah and 
and my impression about the episode did improve a little bit, uh, especially for the Finda line. Mm-hmm. Not so much for Happy Anniversary, <laughs> but right. I I think I remember them more better now, instead of just the transition episodes. <laughs> well, um, I was just uh, checking a, a thing that I. Uh, stubbornly refuse to do anytime I record one of these episodes uh, is to look at the guest schedule document of mine to see when I've got you, you know, whoever I'm talking to, when are they coming back? I, I never do that. I'm doing it right now to make sure that I've got you on the calendar in the future. Uh, you are signed up next for Pylea, I think. Yes, the Pylea arc, the end of this season. So that's fantastic. We'll get to pick up this conversation uh, in those three episodes. So that'll be fun. To see uh, the new journey, we get to meet Fred, mm-hmm. Princess Cordelia, and a few <laughs> new characters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, you know, it feel because my record schedule is so all over the place. I mean, it feels like it's taking forever to get through Angel because it is. But then I look at my, I look at the list and I'm like, oh my God, we're right there. We are right at the Pylea. I mean, yeah, it's, it's coming up really quick. So we're not only in the middle of the season, we're, we're approaching the midpoint of the series by the end of the season because season three will be the midpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Season three, um, have, have I asked you where you stand on the whole season three, season four debate? I'm not a fan of season three. I am a big fan of season four. Oh, wow. If I never mentioned that, I am a big fan. I know it's... That isn't... That are, a lot of people that doesn't like that they don't enjoy season four, I understand um, some of the more critical points about season four, especially now after what... Uh, charisma share with her about her experience during that time. Yeah, but it's a season that I do like. I do enjoy, especially season that, four. That is a that's season a three is, uh, I'm more if he's for season three. That is a brave stance. The season four is a brave stance, and I I applaud you for it because I'm in the same place. I am uh, I am one of those people that really enjoyed season four. Not there aren't many of us out there. Um, I don't remember. I remember liking season three. I mean, there's, there's, there's a hard stuff <laughs> season three, particularly with poor Wesley, but there's also some great stuff in season three coming up. But anyways, we're not there yet. I don't want to, I don't want to jump too far ahead. I just couldn't remember if, uh, if you were going to be excited for season three or season four. Sounds like, uh, sounds like you're my, I'm a, I'm a season four person. Yeah. sounds like you're going to be uh, my season four guy. All right. It- Although it might be interesting to rewatch season three if to check if my impressions have changed. Uh-huh. It's still one of my least favorite seasons. All right. And I haven't I haven't fully rewatched season three in ages. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. All right. Well, Johnny, is there anything about uh, any of these three that we need to catch before we head out? I think that's it for this very isolated section of the season. Yeah. I think that's it. All right. Well, I apologize that it took a year. I'm very (laughs) glad to see that it's not going to be another year 
before. <laughs> I mean, who knows? The the some of my more cynical listeners are probably like, "What is that? Three episodes? Yeah, you could stretch that out to a year, Paul." <laughs> but um, my intention is that it will not be another year before we get back to you, Johnny. So thank you very much for for uh, for joining me. I hope whatever opinions I share this time was at least interesting. <laughs> Your opinions are always interesting. It's always fun to talk to you, man. Um, need to get you back on Gobbledygeek. Have we? Have I ever gotten you on Gobbledygeek? Yeah, we did. Um, uh, American Board Chinese. Oh, that's right. That's right. Which I just found out is being adapted. Yeah, they're adapting it with the director from Shang-Chi and a lot of cast members on that also. Yeah. Are you excited for that? Yeah, it's very interesting to how they were they were approach this adaptation because there's several different elements in that book. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to that. Is a that's going to be a series, right? I, I literally just saw the headline for this the other day and don't know any details. I don't remember okay. if, if it's a series or a movie. Don't yeah. remember, but it's a streamer thing. So yeah, all right. Most like well, we uh, I'll need to get you back on Gobbledy Geek. You and I will have to talk about American born Chinese when that happens. <laughs> And uh, in the meantime, uh, any wares that you want to pimp or, or uh, any social media presence you want to uh, let the audience know about? Nothing special. I'm still using Twitter despite the oh. potential new owner. But mm -hmm. yeah. if you want to talk with me or some my random tweets, even though I don't tweet that more anymore, but sometimes, occasionally, you can find me as... Over there is Johnny T Y H J O H N Y T Y H. All right, there you go. Uh, so thank you again for joining me. This was fun, and uh, thank you everybody at home for listening. Uh, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Uh, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Um, while you're there, please rate us or write us a review that uh, feeds the algorithm and lets new listeners discover the show. If you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, you can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on Facebook at Conversations with Dead People. Um, next time, um, on the calendar at least, I have not reached out to confirm, but on my schedule, I show that uh, joining me next time will be uh, my friend, author, and uh, fellow podcaster, Eric Sippel bringing their uh, unique and always entertaining brand of uh, critical analysis to um, two of the, I think, fairly significant episodes of season two, uh, episodes 215 Reprise and 216 Epiphany. So until then, remember, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do.